Welcome to Wine for Normal People, the podcast for people who like wine, but not the snobbery that goes with it. I'm your host, Elizabeth Schneider, author of the Wine for Normal People book and certified wine dork. And I'm MC Ice, just a wine-loving normal person. It's 2024, and I am so proud to say that Wine Access is once again the exclusive sponsor of the Wine for Normal People podcast. If you have not joined the Wine for Normal People Wine Access Wine Club, do it today. Four shipments, $150 for six bottles. These are amazing wines. WineAccess.com slash normal. Listen in the middle of the show for more details. MC Ice, you haven't been on the show in forever since episode 500, and we're already up to 503. Where have you been? Time flies. It was very nice to have a little bit of time off for the holiday. I hope everybody enjoyed their own holiday. We had a very funny conversation on Patreon about the bad gifts that people received and what they would be doing People, with are them. you... Wait, is it, was this an actual discussion, or were you just venting? To everybody. I did not receive many wine gifts. Well, we should we just reveal how the holidays go down in our house? It, it works. Yes, it does work. I just buy all of my own presents and then give them to MCIs to give to me. It brings me incredible joy. Because gifting is not your love language. It is and not. So you do not as much as I, I You I really like, like it. I, I know. do like to give gifts. I like to give surprises. You hate all of that. Not a real surprise person. I, I, I feel like a couple this is a, in there. You did, and right. they were great, but they weren't wine related. Well, there no. was one wine related gift, but it was a oh, small. Oh, that one. Yeah, yes, that was a yes. small one. Didn't Stocking work out stuffer. great. Yes. It's okay. We shot. needed to try it. We worth needed to try shot, it. It yes. was these things that go in the dishwasher that holds up the wine glasses. Didn't work for us. Our dishwasher is just too spread out. I don't know why. It just didn't work or, for us. Well, I mean, if if your wine glasses weren't goblets. <laughs> Maybe they would fit. Hey, the Glassvin, baby, right. Glassvin. Yeah, if you guys haven't gotten on that, I'm actually about to become a Glassvin affiliate. So if I click on the link, that will help keep the lights on. It does help keep the lights oh, on, but also, nice. you know, I love those glasses. Yes. I love David. He's been on the podcast, and we own all Glassvin yes. glasses now, with the exception of two Zaltos, which of them right. are really good. You will but, not promote items that you do not a hundred percent support. That is. 100% true. So we are returning with an old school show. We are going to be talking about Greece, which is this interesting old world, new world contrast. Now we have covered Greece before. And this time I think there is new news with Greece. I think that we can cover it in a better way. There's a lot more information available about Greece, and it really has gained a kind of legitimacy that maybe previously it was struggling to get. Right. And what I'm really excited about is that this is actually a two-part show. Next week, I have already recorded with a patron. Someone asked me in episode 500 what will be changing in the podcast. We're going to incorporate some of the expertise of the audience That's into great. the podcast occasionally. It won't be all the time, but it will be occasionally. Lindsay has a real passion for Greek wine, and she was able to help with some pronunciations, which I will say right now, I don't want any mail. I know I say this all the time. No, please don't do this on YouTube. Do not do it in the contact us. No hate mail. We're doing the best we can. We pronounce things so that the audience can go out and buy them. So that's it. Please do not send hate mail. Well, not welcome. Well, I'm sure Lindsay will be able to speak 
much better to the Galifianakis region than, <laughs> than I can. That's just about all we can say yeah, in right. Greek, but we are going to try our best. Speaking of patrons, before we get to it, we have been so neglectful of our shout outs. It's actually embarrassing and I'm so sorry. So we are going to run through some of our patrons. It does not mean that we don't love you. It has been a long, long time. So we're going to split this into a couple, but let's just get to it. Ken A, Paul H, Laura D, Ishir B, Betty D, Amy H, Sarah M, Bill C, Ella W, Marie C, Christopher S, Jessica C, Terry, Janet B, Chuli R, Allison Laura Z, Denny R, Christine W, Matthew Y, Gustavo H, Hilding N, Lauren T, Michael P, Charles C, and Joan C. Thank you all so much. And we will get the rest of you next time, I promise. We just appreciate it so much. The patron community is so fun and so active. And it does, as we discussed in episode 500, have its benefits because you could wind up being on the show if you're a patron. And it also helps keep the lights on. Again, it takes a lot to make the show. And we really appreciate it the listeners. So patreon.com slash wine for normal people. Now we're going to talk about Greece. Now, I can't help myself. You know, I love history. I've picked up on that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and nothing is more historic. Well, that's not true. Georgian wine, wine from China is more historic, but very few things are more historic than Greek wine in terms of how it has affected Western civilization and the way that we view wine in a positive light. It's the original old world, isn't it? No, it's not. It's definitely not because China would be the original old world, as would Georgia. But, you know, we're but are they constantly... Really con is China really considered old world? Absolutely. I know it's old, but it, it's not in the same... Well, I think it's just very complex. Again, you know, this is a, a whole other conversation. But if anybody is interested in this, I actually have an article from Science Direct because someone had just come to me and said, well, you know, you're forgetting China. And no, it's, it's really quite complex. So let's talk about modern day Greece, which is a nation of 10 million people. 180,000 grape growers, about a fifth of the people working the land are wine growers. Wow. So we are between 34 degrees and 42 degrees north latitude. In the north, Greece borders the Balkan states of Albania, of North Macedonia, and Bulgaria, and Turkey. Mm -hmm. But when we think about Greece, we think about the seas, the Aegean in the east, the Ionian Sea in the west, which is part of the Adriatic, the Libyan Sea to the south. There are thousands of islands that are part of Greece. Only Jeez. 227 of them are inhabited. I say only. That's a lot, yes. right? Long, extensive history, one of the oldest winemaking nations in the world, re-entered the game in the 1980s, which makes them a combination of new world and old world. But it would be absolutely remiss to say that Greece is not old world because they have been dealing with and working with these grapes for a really long time. They're just now doing it with new technology. And in fact, I would say they're more old world now 
than they were when we first covered Greece. Really? Why would you say that? Because instead of embracing French varietals, they have now really doubled down on embracing their own varietals. And I think that that... Did they embrace French varietals at first or at least earlier in the 80s? And then they've gone back to their roots? Yes. Now, they've always made these for the local market, but now they are really coming out strongly just in the same tradition as Italy, as Portugal, as Spain, saying these are our grapes. We understand that they may be a little difficult to pronounce. We understand that they may be different, but we are presenting that. And that kind of pride and showing that side, I think, makes them more old world. It harkens back to that time when when they've been growing these grapes for thousands of years. So good for them. Now, 200 native grapes, at least that we know of, it's a lot to keep track of. If we look at the history, in the third millennia, BCE. You had Crete and the Minoan civilization in the second millennium. BCE, wine was already being consumed. We know in the third millennium it was made. Could it come from Mesopotamia or Asia? The idea of making wine or growing grapes in this way. But in hieroglyphics, there were symbols for wine. And Dionysus was one of the major Greek gods of the 12 important gods. Not a minor god, but one of the major gods. That should tell you that wine was very, very important in ancient Greece. It was used in prayers and sacrifices offered for men going to war. It was used for strength. Liquid courage. Exactly. (laughs) Homer talked about wine as a part of life. Hesiod in the 7th century BC talked about how wine should be harvested based on the position of the stars. This goes directly to the idea of biodynamics, right? And the specific conditions for winemaking, drying the grapes on straw mats before pressing. Gosh, I just... Where did I just talk about this, that the tradition of drying grapes on straw mats has been such a long tradition? So we think about Amarone or we think, oh, I think it was in the Sherry mini class that I did for the patrons, drying grapes on straw mats. This is something that goes back to the Greek tradition. It goes back very, very far to concentrate the sugars. I was going to ask what it's some of the benefits yes, of it. Yes, and get, get stronger alcohol, better flavor. Temperature and oxidation were already issues that they were talking about in terms of storage conditions in the literature. They stirred the leaves already, topped off the amphora to prevent oxidation. These are all things that are well-documented. They also added spices and herbs and special oils to stabilize the wine against oxidation. And one of those major things that they used was pine resin. And that is why we have the tradition of Retsina, which is a wine that has pine resin flavor in it. And now it's changed a lot. I think I have, have to you try had it them. Recently? No, okay. I've only had the older versions and they were not drinkable to me, but uh-huh. you know, they were part of the culture of Greece for a very long time. Theophrastus was the first wine writer in the fourth century BCE. He wrote books about viticulture and wines. There was already a denomination system, a denomination of origin system by the seventh century BCE. Place was linked to wine tax structures. There was a guarantee of authenticity by the state. This is very advanced. Yes. And this is why, again, we can never say that Greece is not an old world wine producing country. The Greeks started to spread wine cultures. So 
the Danube from the Black Sea, Marseille in France by Mm -hmm. 600 BCE. The Greeks were already pushing and moving along. Wine, big trade for storage vessels in wine, vats for crushing, amphora for transport. Wine was diluted with water before it was consumed. They used special vessels for this. Sorry, why was it diluted? Was it a much higher concentration of alcohol? To make the quantities go farther and also so that they could get water. So one of the bigger problems is that water was polluted and disgusting right. and so you would cut the water with wine. Mm-hmm. So it's not really that you were cutting but the, the wine with water. the alcohol is going to kill a lot of the bacteria and germs. That's that exactly were in the why. Water, yeah. So in order to get hydration you would put wine in the water to kill the bacteria. Wow, I can't wait for Gatorade Pinot. <laughs> <laughs> or Liatico which we're drinking right now. Delicious. So trade and production peaked between the 6th and 4th centuries BCE after the Romans conquered Greece in 146 BCE. Greece lost power. And then unfortunately, this really marked the steady decline of Greece, which they had fewer exports. And then they got hit with a bunch of things that made wine production difficult. So you had Byzantine rule, which was going to discourage wine because they were Islamic. The Byzantine rule tried to stifle a lot of ancient Mm -hmm. Greek culture. At this point, did the Romans pick up the torch, though? Well, remember that Italy has had consistent, and France, has had consistent wine production. So once the Greeks spread to the south of France, to the Danube and up in the north, right around Austria and Germany, once this started to happen and Sicily was major, you know, Sicily and southern Italy, yes, at that point, the Romans then took over by 200 BCE, we have the Romans in full swing, conquering most of Europe, and then it took a couple hundred years before they well, they, they started spread, making... They spread yeah. the vines all over Europe, right? They did. Well, the vines were already there, but they spread the winemaking techniques. I guess that's right. They did move into uh, new territories and utilize the natural resources. Yes. The Ottoman Turks took over in 1453. They allowed viticulture, but they taxed the hell out of it. They basically taxed it out of existence, and then they destroyed the land when they left in 1821. The Greeks had to start over And in 1830, the nation of Greece formed, and it was a very poor country. They had grapes, but the problem is that the plant stock was very bad. They couldn't afford good root stock. They got some bounce from table grapes for exports, especially to France during phylloxera. Mm -hmm. But that business dried up after the French figured out the solution to phylloxera. And in the late 19th century... Right, the American rootstock. In the late 19th century, there was a lot of bad bulk wine. The oxidation issues were resolved with resin. There's a lot of white grapes, so white grapes are more prone to oxidation, Mm -hmm. and this was a problem. So they just solved it with resin, with retsina, the pine resin. There was no technological help. There was no investment to help them fix the wine to make it marketable. Beer actually became a better thing to drink domestically. Then in the 20th century, we had a slew of problems for Greece. So the Balkan Wars of 1912 to 1913, Phylloxera did not come until the 1910s. They had conflicts with Turkey. Once Phylloxera came, they didn't have money actually to replace vines. So a lot of the the vineyards just went away. Mm -hmm. You had big co-ops for wines in the 1920s. Then Nazi occupation. 
World War II, huge devastation. I mean, Greece suffered enormous devastation and loss in World War II and in World War I, for that matter. There was a civil war, the Greek Civil War in the 1940s. There was financial chaos. Fewer farmers. There were a lot of people who died. They did not have a lot of population. They had mass immigration to the United States and other places. Bulk wine in the 1960s. They had some domains that were trying to work on it. Domain Karas in the 1960s is one of them. The Wine Institute in Athens tried to help preserve native cultivars. That was started in 1966. They realized, shoot, with all the devastation, we are losing some of these native grapes. We need a library. So they set up essentially a library to help with the native cultivars. The problem is the only place that tourists were really going were the islands and then to Athens. Athens was the big tourist destination, still is. Retsina was served there. So the tourists thought Greek wine was Retsina. So they associated Retsina with Greek wine overall. Right. And so the reputation was Retsina is Greek wine. But that's not Greek wine. It was just the impression of Greek wine. In fact, when we start going over all of the different grape types, the islands don't really make Retsina. They don't grow the grapes. It's really only grown in central Greece, in one part of central Greece. It is a huge portion of production, but there's a lot of different wines to be had and to be tasted. So it was a big shame. In the 1980s, there was a huge revolution in wine. And by 1985, there was actually an enology school in Greece. And there was a woman, Stavrula Koraku Dragona. She pushed the industry into modernizing and said, look, if we are going to make this happen, we have got to fit in with the EU standards. We have to start having better wines and we have to have them fit within the classification system. There was improvement in the 90s, the 2000s. High quality wine today in every region. Winemaking is modernized. Even central? Yes. They're a little bit more reluctant to be non-interventionist. They're worried. You know, they want their wines to show well, and they're worried about natural yeast and things like that. It makes sense, though. It makes perfect sense because they are just getting back on their feet, getting good reputation, getting good recognition. They will get there. But I think that Greek wine, it is safe to say that if you haven't taken a look at it after the show, you're going to really want to do that. Let's give a lay of the land it's a lot more complex than I think people think. Are you covering all 200 islands? Or? Um, all 227. Those are the 227 are inhabited. Remember, there's thousands oh, of them. Shoot, so we're just going to go yeah. through a list of right. all the thousand islands now. Right. And make a dressing out of Alphab- it. Alphabetically? <laughs> thousand or? island dressing is oh, not a thing. Oh my God, that's funny. Lots of islands, lots of mountains, lots of hills. I'm not sure that when people think about Greece, they think about mainland Greece. The only low-lying lands in Greece are really near the coast. The mainland part of Greece, which is where most of the really great wine is being produced, frankly, is mountainous. It's an extension of the Alps in Central Europe. I remember the map that we had as a reference during the last Greek podcast and how important the terrain was, and it's pretty severe. And it also is not completely dry, and it is really diverse. And as we think about Mount Olympus, some mm-hmm. of you might have heard of that. Dionysus lives From, there. Yep, Percy, Percy Jackson. Jackson yeah. um, also, like, all the Greek myths and Zeus lives there. Oh, yeah. There and stuff too. like that. But yeah, anyway, well. you know, that's Greece's highest peak. Greece is one of the most mountainous countries in Europe. 
but does not get the recognition Credit for that. For it, right. And the other thing is, from a wine perspective, the soils are mostly limestone and sandstone. These are recipes for good wine, except in the north where you have igneous rock, which is going to create some really interesting wines too. The soils are generally poor. They are generally infertile and they're very thin. So you can actually see the rock underneath it. But isn't that good? Don't you want the vines to struggle? Absolutely. There is a lot of variation. The problem for Greece, there are very few rivers, not much for irrigation. Mm. The rivers tend to dry up in the summer. Less than half of Greece is cultivated land, but it's still an agricultural country. So most of the exports are agricultural. There's a quote from The Wines of Greece, which is a really great book if you're interested in Greek wine. If you have a piece of land where you can grow something, anything, grow it. If nothing can grow on your land, then plant a vineyard or an olive grove. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of the rule of thumb anywhere. The climate, I know this will not come as a shock. It's Mediterranean. It is continental in some parts or in the mountain areas. We'll get into that. But in general, hot, dry summers, short and mild winters. It can be wet, going to vary, and there's going to be different altitudes. So we're going to go over the regions now. And this is a key part of the show because you are going to listen Really carefully, especially when we're talking about some of these PDOs, the PDOs are the protected designations of origin. Pay attention to the place and the grapes because that's how you're going to get these wines. Macedonia. Macedonia is a center of amazing viticulture. Agriculture is very important in Macedonia. Viticulture is a little bit less important, but the areas where they do viticulture are awesome. Macedonia has more water because there's snow melt. Oh, wow. There are rivers and lakes. There are amazing producers in Macedonia. Mostly Macedonia is associated with red wine, especially Xeno Mavro, which is the star, or Xeno Mavro. That starts with an X, by the way. Oh. And so you should definitely look Good. in the show notes, okay? There used to be a lot more native grapes here, but Phylloxera wiped out 60% of the grapes in Macedonia. It, that was a, a real blow. Yeah, I mean, it's just a real blow to this region. This is in northern Greece, large area, lots of variation. So the climate is going to be variable, but it's generally cooler, especially in the better areas. The western side of Macedonia is incredibly mountainous, and it includes Mount Olympus, which, in case you're wondering how high Mount Olympus is, it's 9,570 feet or... 2,917 meters. There is flatter land here than in southern Greece, so it's easier in some ways to do viticulture and, like I said, more water, but the soils are going to be different. We have some really important PDOs here, Gominisa, Nausa, Amentio, and we're going to talk about these now. So some are on the flats, some are on the slopes. Okay. In western Macedonia, in the Florina area, we have the PDO of Amendio or Amentio, that's what it looks like. This is the coldest viticultural area in Greece with a semi-continental climate. It is on a plateau. Sino Mavro is the big grape, the red grape. The altitudes are pretty high. There are four lakes in the area. Alluvial soil over calcareous limestone soils, 
sandy. It is warm, very infertile soils. They make a lot of great high acid wines mm. from Amendio. Even the Cino Mavro is very, very acidic here. That is the main grape, either for the rosé of Amendio or for the reds. And they are flavorful, spicy, almost a little bit like a Nebbiolo. Then in central Macedonia, Nausa. Nausa is with Nemea, which we'll talk about later, is probably the most well-known on the international stage for red wines. Quick question. Are Greek wines known by their grape or by the region? Well, I think Italy took a page out of Greece's book. Oh, jeez. That's what I was worried about. Right. So both. Both. Yeah. Because Greece is incredibly conscious of the fact that it is very difficult for us to pronounce these grape names and place names. Unless you are in a fraternity or sorority. Even then, I don't think that there is anything named Delta, Delta, Delta. (laughs) Um, Although there could be a wine that says that and underneath it says, can I help you, help you, help you. It is 2024. I am so pumped that Wine Access has signed on for another year to be our exclusive sponsor. I'm a customer also, and I can tell you the wines are spectacular. I've had so many great wines. I had this amazing Shiraz from Grampians, a small place in Victoria. I've had some white San Joseph, which was terrific. There are so many wines that I couldn't get access to anywhere else. Their sourcing team is awesome. I've spent a lot of time with them picking out wines for the wine club wineaccess.com slash normal is how you will join that wine club you get 10% off your first order $150 for six bottles of terrific wine all hand selected by me you get a note you get videos that I make we spend so much time sourcing these wines making sure that they are the right combo for you. If you're listening to the show, you need better wines, more interesting wines than the run of the mill. And that's what we make sure to give you. If you don't want to join the wine club, you can also just go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP. There's a page of wines that I'm drinking. Like I said, I order wines from Wine Access. I try these wines. I put them on my page if I love them. It is like walking into a wine store where you cannot get a bad wine. Go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP, check out the page of my picks, 10% off your first order, and join our wine club. The value you get, the education you get, just can't be beat. Wine Access, wineaccess.com slash normal. And also... Don't forget patreon.com slash wine for normal people. If you want to join the community and help support the podcast and the work that we do. And also don't forget the classes, wineforNormalPeople.com slash classes. You can sign up for the wines of Greece right now. Get on it today. And now let's get back to the show. We're drinking this Liatico, and Liatico is what it says on the bottle. However, there will be others that say the PDO. The PDO here is Daphnis, but it's very difficult to see. It's hidden on the bottle. Again, the producers are really trying to figure out what they should push. We're just, we're not quite there yet. But Nausa... But as a consumer, what am I supposed to look for? Now? Well, this is what I'm telling you, is that for the more famous areas like Nausa, yeah. you will see that on the bottle. Okay. N-A-O-U-S-S-A. And this is a wine to seek out. So this is along the foothills, the eastern slopes of a mountain called Mount Vermeo, 100 to 400 meters or around 330 to 
1,300 feet, calcareous soils. There's a huge difference in NASA between the east and west sides. The west is at a higher altitude with poor soils, less fertility, cool sea area, more overcast. And then you have the eastern side, which is a little bit warmer. NASA is the most important Sinomavro appellation. It's one of Greece's best reds. They do compare it to Barolo or Barbaresco because, again, Sino Mavro is similar to Nebbiolo in its flavor profile, in its spiciness, in its contrast between tannin and acidity. It's a very complex wine, delicious. Limestone, loam, clay, sand, all of the things actually that Nebbiolo thrives on as well. There's a lot of different soil types. So you're going to find different things. But Sino Mavro from NASA can be one of Greece's best wines. It can age. It definitely needs food. There's not a lot of primary fruit. Again, it's mm-hmm. like I'm describing Nebbiolo. Firm tannins, high acidity. There are some softer and more modern styles too, so you can look for both. But NASA is one to watch. Do we know if it's related to any of the more common grapes that we would know? No, there's no information on that. It is possible since a lot of the grapes from Italy did come. Right, they originated from. from. Yes, but Nebbiola, we really do firmly believe that it's native to Piedmont. There are a bunch of other areas. So another one to know is the Pedio of Gominisa. This is on the slopes of another couple of mountain ranges planted on hilly terrain Eastern facing slopes that are mid slope 150 to 250 meters or about 490 to 820 feet. Warm and low humidity. Phylloxera destroyed so many of the vineyards here. Butari, which is a major producer and credited with a lot of the renaissance of Greek wine, came to Gominisa in the 1970s and promoted the region. This is Sinomaro with at least 20% of the local grape Nogoska. They're co-fermented. I really like the wines of Gominisa. I think they are fruity and they are a little bit softer. They're maybe a little less powerful than the Sino Mavro from Nausa. like Yes. I think the Nagoska really helps because it's fruity and rich. Mm-hmm. It's a little softer. So what it does to the Sino Mavro is it takes away some of the harshness. Okay. It can also take away some of the complexity. I'm not going to lie. So sure. if you're looking for these really complex wines, Nausa or Amendio or where you're going to get those Sino Mavros. But if you want something a little bit friendlier, easier to drink, Gomenisa is a great bet because Nagoska really does a nice job. So it's not with, necessarily a food wine. You can drink it on its own. Yeah. Okay. There's a few other areas in this part of central Macedonia. The Pleiades, Melitona, these are peninsulas that extend out into the Aegean. Maritime climate, lots of organic viticulture going on right now on the slopes of Mount Militon, which goes up to about 2,600 feet or 800 meters. In this area, Emile Penot, who a very famous vigneron and consultant in Bordeaux came here and started supervising the planting of Greek Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah. He? No, he was called in okay. as a consultant. But the other thing that is here is one of my favorite grapes. Malaguzia or Malaguzia, which I love. And they also do grow here less expensive, Assertico. We're going to talk about Assertico when we talk about Santorini, but because it's gotten so expensive and so coveted from Santorini, the small island, they're now growing Assertico 
also in this area. Why do you like Malaguza? Malaguzia is floral and fruity. It is highly aromatic. It has great acidity, and yet it has this creamy body. So a little bit of everything. It really is a very complete. I don't know that it's necessarily overly complex, but it's one of these wines. Yes, it's a very complete wine. They also have Limnio here, Zino Mavro, which are red wines. They also have Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc. Eastern Macedonia, you have Drama, which always reminds me of Johnny, Johnny Drama, Drama, 100%, and yes. Kavala. These are not PDOs, but they do have really big reputations. They're PGI, Protected Geographic Indications. Kavala has Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, and Semillon. And then Drama is warmer and drier. It borders Bulgaria, and they have Cab, Merlot, and Syrah with some Assertico. Mm-hmm. And actually, drama is pretty funny because two brothers started a winery together called Lazaridis. They had a fight and they it broke into two. It so did? there's two really high quality wineries. But it's funny that it was in drama because that's yes, very dramatic. That is funny. Yeah. We have Thrace then with Macedonia. It was the center for the Dionysian cult. Dionysus is believed to have come from this area, well, but it doesn't have any quality wine. So I'm not really sure how that could be. Very remote. Borders Turkey and Bulgaria, cooler. It's an emerging region. You know, maybe Dionysus will have his last day on there anyway. The Peloponnese is the southernmost tip of the Balkan Peninsula. Mountainous, divided into the east and west ranges. And this is where you find the other very, very important red wine area, Hedio Nemea. Now, you have a mild Mediterranean climate You have the moderating effect of the sea in the Gulf of Corinthos or Corinth to the north. You have protection of cool winds from the mountains of continental Greece and the central Peloponnese. Lots of mesoclimates here, but the really important thing to know is the PDO of Nemea. Now, what's crazy here is that you have the PDO of Nemea mass-produced cheap wines from Rodidas, which are white wines, but then Nemea is... 7,400 acres or about 3,000 hectares of Ayoritico. Ayoritico is how you say this grape. It looks like Ajorgitico. Please send hate mail to learn how to pronounce at winefornormalpeople.com. Uh, no hate mail. <laughs> Nemea is the largest PDO zone in Greece. There are three altitude zones, so you're going to get different wine depending. You have the flatlands, which is alluvial soil from a local river, deep and fertile. You have semi-mountainous on the southwest foothills, which have calcareous soils, good drainage. And then you have the mountains, where you are going to get cooler areas, later ripening grapes, poor soils. What you will look for on the bottle is Nemea, Mm -hmm. and the grape inside will be mostly Ayoritico. You know, the other thing it might say is St. George, because they're starting to change the name of the grape because Ayoritico is very, very hard to say. To make it easier for the international audience. yes, especially for America. Arcadia, the Pedio-Mantinia, is surrounded by tall mountains, and this is Moscofilero, which is a white grape. It is very aromatic. It can be a little bit saline in flavor. So Moscofilero, you will see from Arcadia. Now, Moscofilero, because it is so well-known, will be labeled by the grape. 
Okay. You might not even know, just like this Liatica, which right. we're tasting, you might not even know where it's from. Likely it's going to be from around Arcadia in the Peloponnese. But clearly, if I'm buying it, it's going to be a mutt in terms of locations. In Laconia, in this Peloponnese, you have Monem Vasia Malvasia. You can guess which grape this is. This was a medieval port, many centuries, really, really important. And we believe that it's the origins of the famous Malvasia wine. Now, there Hmm. are many Malvasias throughout Italy and France and all over the place. But this was known for sweet wines. And also they are now growing a Certico. And then you have some other zones, see Roditis and Mavrodathni, which is sweeter dessert wines. Now, I've also had dry Mavrodathni before, which people don't believe me because it's mostly known for sweet wine. Yes, it's very fruity and delicious. So that is a red grape famous for very sweet wines. What's the overall distribution of white to red? Definitely more whites than red. Red is only about a third of the wine made. My my impression was that it was going to be more red. A huge portion of the vineyard is still dedicated to the grape that makes Retsina, which is Savatiano. We should talk about where that is grown. Central Greece encompasses part of the Pindos mountain range, really mountainous area, lots of different soil types, lots of different mesoclimates, just like everything else. 28% of all Greek vineyards are in Attica, in central Greece. Really? Attica is where Athens is, the province where Athens is. It's mountainous. The flatter part has southern winds, the sea cooling temperatures. Mm -hmm. It is one of the driest and warmest areas of Greece. This is where Savatiano, the grape of Retsina, is planted. It's a historic grape, and it is one of the most widely planted. Lots of PGI wines include Savatiano, but especially Retsina, and because that was such a cultural phenomenon, Is it, it living is still... off its legacy, though? Yes, although okay. they are trying to revive it. They are trying to say, look, this grape is more than just Retsina. We talked about why they had to preserve these wines with pine resin. The oxidative issues made these wines really bad. So they needed to do something to preserve them, and for them, I mean, now they're... Now they've got better bottling They have much... So right, sure. and so there are Savatianos that are are not Terezina, or there are some that have slight pine resin notes, but are not really strong. So again, I have to give it another look, but not my my favorite. Um, <laughs> if you are looking for Greek sparkling wine, the region you want to look in is Epirus in the Zitsa PDO. They have dry and semi-sparkling wines for Debina is the grape there. Is that at altitude or? Yes. 700 meters. Pretty okay. high. Yeah. Yes. Highest rainfall in the country. So cool. So yes, you're going to get right. great grapes for sparkling. Before we leave mainland Greece, we should get to Thessalia or Thessaly, the heart of continental Greece. It's a commercial and cultural center. It's the best place actually for grain and cotton. Not many grapes, but there is one amazing PDO. So we've already talked about Nemea, Nasa, mm-hmm. Amendio. Amendio and Nasa are for Sinomavro and Nemea for Ayorgitiko and then Rapsani. Rapsani is a small area in Thessaly on the eastern slopes of Mount Olympus. It is 250 to 750 meters, 600 to 2,500 feet. Mountainous, the grapes are grown in Gobelet, bush trained, cooler, high up. This is 
really flavorful. Now, sometimes it can be Cino Mavro with a grape called Stavroto and another one called Crassato to temper some of the acidity in the Cino Mavro, mm-hmm. aged in oak for a year. The grapes are going to ripen at different times on different parts of the slope. There's a lot of blending possibilities. Rapsani is delicious. If you get a chance to try these wines, there won't be that many producers, but Rapsani is another example of excellent Cino Mavro. So if you were going to do a Cino Mavro tasting, I would recommend getting the three, Amendio, Nausa, and Rapsani, and seeing the differences between them because they're really quite delicious. Is that something we could buy locally or are we going to have to order probably going to have to order one them. of the big importers? Probably going to have to order okay. them. Although we are very lucky here where we live that there is a fantastic store that has an excellent Greek selection. It has all of these wines. That's how I've tasted all of these wines. Oh, right. And you have to, you just don't know it. So those are the mainland wines. I know I keep recapping, but the real stars, Cino Mavro, Ayorgitico, various blends with those things. And then for the whites, Moscofiloro, I love Malaguzia. And then Savatiano. So I appreciate the recaps because the language is, is difficult. Yes, thank you. I think the show notes are definitely helpful. All right. So island number one. That's right. We have 2,000 to go through. (laughs) So I hope everybody is really like getting cozy. A lot of them don't grow grapes. You have the Aegean Islands. The Aegean Islands are very terroir-driven wines. These are steep. Many of them come from volcanic activity. Most of the stuff is hand harvested. They have a lot of rare grapes. Earthquakes and volcanoes have created a lot of interesting soil types. In the northern Aegean, we see a lot of white muscata of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. In the southern Aegean, that's where you see the white Assertico, Atiri, Monavasia, and the red Mandalaria. Santorini is far and away sure. the most famous. Right. I will go over some of the other Aegean islands, but Santorini, fascinating place. Vineyards in the south and southwest part of the island. Santorini was the site of what we believe to be one of the largest volcanic eruptions. When did it happen? The eruption that disturbed Minoan civilization was 3,600 years ago. Oh, wow. Santorini is incredibly porous because it is volcanic. And this is good for the grapes because the soil is able to retain humidity and hold moisture from dew and rain since it really doesn't rain that often. Right. It's like a big sponge. With yes. All the, yep. Nooks and, and crannies. And Santorini is essentially just a giant cliff. Hmm. It's got really strong and cool breezes. That can be a problem for the vines. So they are trained in culura, in nests, a wreath or a basket. And They are protected from windburn or from wind stress. The way that they're trained allows them to take in night sea mist and you get some briny characteristics as an effect of that. The main wine here is the white Assertico, 1,700 acres or about almost 700 hectares of vines here. Assertico is incredibly saline in character yet soft. It's got citrus notes, some apple notes, but really the defining characteristic for me is the mineral saline quality and the 
unbelievable texture that is both acidic and soft at the same time. So again, a Sertico, good with seafood. the price of a Sertico has gone up. So between 25 and 35 US dollars for a basic bottle is not unheard of, which is why a lot of people in the mainland are starting to grow a Sertico why so it that they can appreciate so much. Was there, was there because a shortage it's delicious. of it? Or is it no, just well, there's only 1,700 the... acres and well. not all of it. They also grow a, the white Adani in Santorini. Not all places are appropriate for a Sertico, but a Sertico is the coveted wine. And once you taste it, you'll see why it's so great. You also have some other areas in the Aegean Islands, Paros, which grows the white Monmavasia and the red Mandalaria, which are actually sometimes blended together. Samos, 95% of the wine is white muscat on granite soils and lots of terraced vineyards on all of these islands. Lemnos, really important island in the northern Aegean. Volcanic, you see a lot of muscat here. The rest is limnio, which is the red grape I mentioned before. Rhodes, very famous in the history of Greece. The best vineyards are at high altitude. It can be very, very hot here. Sparkling wine at altitude. Atheri is the white that's grown in the mountain zone. Mandalaria is the red. A nice tannic wine. Mandalaria can be quite delicious. Also, white muscat for sweet wines. Rhodes is tough. There's a lot of really strong winds. Lots of different islands, and all of them grow their native grapes. The next really important island is Crete. Crete is enormous. I mean, it basically could be a country in and of itself because it's so large. It is Western Europe's southernmost region at 35 degrees north latitude. Mm. It contains 15% of Greece's vineyards. Crete alone. That's a lot. Wow. Yes. Most of the vineyards are in the eastern part of the island. They're getting sea breezes. They are on plains and plateaus but are at altitude. So even though it's hot and dry... They don't get much rain, but clay limestone soils retaining water, and they're also allowing these grapes to dig deep into the soils. The reds, what we are drinking right now, the Liatico, Mandalaria, and the whites, Vidiano, Vilana, and then there are a few others. This Liatico is delicious. Why don't you describe it, NCS, because you were just talking about how much you like it. Well, it's sort of deceiving because the color is the brownish side. But it's also pretty light around the edges. So I, I thought it was going to be flimsy, to be honest, but it's it's not. It's got a lot of depth to it. It's got a lot of flavor. It's got good fruit, but good tannins as well as acidity. It's well balanced. Yeah, Leontico is known for being very pale in color. It's actually used for sweet wines often. This is a 14% alcohol wine, hmm. so it's got body. This is from the Daphnis PDO. It has a nice strong tannic bite to it. Yep. Great acidity. But nice dark fruit, a little bit of spice. Yep. Not an island wine. No, not what I would have so, expected. Right, given but the Crete pictures that again. I've, yeah, a little bit different. Crete's a different place. You also have Kotsafali, which is a red that's very well known on Crete, and Mandalaria, which I mentioned. Many different things to explore on Crete, especially Vidiano, which we will be tasting in the Wines of Greece class, which, which I am teaching when? in February. Nice. It's almost sold out. So if you're interested it, while you're listening to the show, you may want to get on that right away. Crete recently has made a really big push 
on their wine. So you will now see much more Cozzafali. You will see more Mandalaria. You will see these wines like the Red Liatico from Daphne's, which we're having, Vidiano, Villana. You're going to see much more of that out of Crete. And then finally, some wine grown in significant quantities in Cephalonia in the Ionian Islands. It's mostly Robola. There's some Mavro Daphne. But we don't see a ton of wine coming out of the Ionian Islands. So if I could just summarize here, there's a lot of information, but there are only specific important areas to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what they are, MCIs? You got Nausa, Nemea, the rest I'm not going to be able to pronounce is the problem. What about Crete? Okay, Crete, fine. And then there's some grapes that I think, Sino, Mavro. Anything with an X. X, right? Yeah, you're good for that. St. George. Ayorgitico is the grape. Hard to say. I think a lot of people are comfortable ordering Moscofilero. I think if you saw Malaguzia, you would order that. Assertico has become a standard bearer for a lot of people. So these wines can become part of your rotation. They should become part of your rotation. I will say you've changed my opinion because if you just if you had just said, hey, are you up for some Greek wine? I don't know that I would have put that very high on the list. But now um, I'm sold. It's not just a beautiful country. It's not just a historic country. It is a truly old world country that is rediscovering its own traditions, its own grapes with very high quality. Greece was just ranked one of the hottest countries in Europe, you know, just in terms of they've got their economy on track. Yeah, the economy is on track. Yes. yes. And tourism is great. People are really, really interested in Greece. I hope I they don't try to cater toward the international um, palate. Well, they've already tried that. No, they've already tried that. And so I think they're done with that. You know, Sicily did it too before embracing their own Mm -hmm. grapes. I love that the Iberian Peninsula never did it. And they were like, (laughs) no, sorry, either like us or forget it. But they are done with that. That was the first wave. And now they've grown and changed. And so it's an exciting time for Greek wine. If you haven't tried it, seek some out, even if it's just Moscofilero or Assertico. But if you can try some of the reds, they are fascinating. Give it another look beyond just going to Zorba the Greek, your <laughs> local restaurant and having whatever whatever wine they serve. Get a little bit more sophisticated with it. And I think you're really, really going to love it. This is the end of part one. And next week, we're going to get some more humanizing element of it with Lindsay really talking about why she loves Greece, why it's so important. So if you're not sold this week, wait till next week when we've got somebody who's more of an expert with better pronunciations. She actually speaks Greek and has a real love for Greek wine, which I think is an important extra element to this show. I'm going to be tuning in for sure. Absolutely. And with that, this has been another episode of Wine for Normal People. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.